On Long Island's south shore, between the charming homes and alluring beaches, there are secrets. A mystery deep and twisted, the Gilgo Beach murders. At least 11 bodies discovered, mostly near Ocean Parkway, as Fox 5 has reported over the last decade, in all the years since the first bodies were discovered in 2010, no arrests have ever been made. I'm Dan Bowens, and this is The Tape Room. On this episode, I speak with Billy Jensen and Alexis Linkletter, hosts of Unravel, the Long Island serial killer, a streaming series on Discovery Plus and seven-part podcast. Both investigative journalists are Long Island natives, and their new reporting takes a different approach, a closer look at the investigation itself and questions about how it was handled in the early stages, specifically the former police chief James Burke. One note, during this conversation, when you hear references to the police chief, I'm referring to Burke, not the current police commissioner in Suffolk County. So just to get started, kind of a simplistic question, but can you just give me the bare bones details about the Long Island serial killer and the, the murders at Gilgo Beach, just the, just the sort of nuts and bolts and basics of what the case is. Yeah, so on Ocean Parkway, which is on the south shore of Long Island, there have been between, I mean, the numbers vary depending on who you speak with, but the baseline generally is 10, 11 bodies found on Ocean Parkway. And the discovery started being made in 2010. And the case is unsolved. So that's essentially really the whole summary of the okay. case. Uh, the whole search for these bodies, the catalyst was the disappearance of a sex worker named Shannon Gilbert. And the search was really ignited with her. And this is an enormous case. This is a, a, a national case, an international case. And it's something that, um, you know, if you're on Long Island, you know about it. Right. Yeah. And within the last 20 years, this is the biggest serial killer case that's out there. And both of you are from Long Island. And I would imagine that that resonates a bit with knowing kind of some of the details of what's involved here. Yeah, I'm from uh, Westbury. I went to Clark High School. I, uh, you know, my father would read Newsday every day. He would watch the news every day and he would tell me about stories uh, about the, you know, the 44 caliber killer, about the Johnny Pius murder. I mean, he would go through and that, that was like sort of like my education was that. And that's probably why the reason why I became a true crime writer. What would you say are some of the biggest takeaways that you have from your investigation um, when, when you think about how you've approached it? And what are some of the biggest takeaways that you have now that you know, you're seven episodes in and, and a full TV series in. So I think what we, our biggest takeaway personally would just be the whole system questioning aspect. And it's something we're going to continue to work on. We're going to take on cases that have this systemic component. Uh, with this case, I don't think publicly the, the police department had been properly questioned or held accountable about how they handled this investigation. And we've seen 
you know, it's, it's kind of a cliche in that sex worker murders don't get the attention they deserve. But this case actually got the media attention it deserved. The person in charge still derailed the investigation and no one asked him any questions about it. He just did it without anyone calling him out or questioning it publicly in any sort of way. So I think, I mean, it's a, it's a theory of the last year or so anyway. It's what we're dealing with with the Long Island serial killer case is a microcosm of what we deal with with power everywhere in police departments and in politics. And it was interesting. One of the things you guys say early on is there have been several documentaries, stories that have all been written about what's happened here. And your focus and your investigation was really an investigation of what the police department and an investigation of the investigation, so to speak. Yes. So it's about, you know, whenever you're looking at a problem, you want to see what the solution is, who's in charge of what the solution should be. And we've been looking at the victims, we've been looking at all, all of these other things, potential suspects, but who was actually in charge of figuring this out? That's what we decided to look at. And we found some really explosive things about the reasons why they weren't able to figure out who did this. Because we have so many killings and so many, you know, you know, serial killings, people have said like, you know what, there aren't as many serial killers as there were in the late 70s. Why is this one unsolved? And we found the reason why. And it's because a chief of police took control and, and completely cut everyone out of the investigation. The, the part of the, the biggest issue and what you guys really uncover are a lot of the discrepancies from the top. Um, right, right. Some of the problems with the police chief inhibiting the investigation. Yeah. So what we found, because we always talk about that there's not, you know, true crime people are like, why are there not as many serial killers as they were in the 70s and 80s? Because we have so much technology. We, we have so much, so many things going on. Why were there 11 bodies found along Ocean Parkway just a decade ago, and we haven't discovered who killed them? That's what we looked into, and what we found was shocking. One of the catalysts of the story, uh, Alexis, is, is, is your friend, um, who is a longtime friend, who has this incredible connection and discovery. Without giving too much away, talk to me about who he is, and how he ties into the overall story. So Chris Loeb, he's essentially the protagonist in our, in our investigation because he and I met in middle school and we were friends through middle school and through high school. And then I moved to LA to become a you know, true crime documentary producer is what I ended up being. And then we reconnected in 2013 when he was going through the throes of this investigation into the violation of his civil rights. So James Burke essentially beat him up after he stole a duffel bag containing various items from his department issued SUV in the town where he grew up. And this is Smithtown, New York. And, and some of those details aren't disputed because they've been basically proven in court. I mean, some of the stuff when people hear it, you say, well, this guy couldn't have stolen a duffel bag and blah, blah, blah. But some of that stuff is documented. I mean, it's, it's actually, actually well documented. It doesn't matter if it's a heroin addict, former heroin addict who's, who's, who's saying the story. Right. Uh, James Burke pled guilty to 
beating Chris up in front of his mother, beating him up at the precinct, and then conspiring with several officers and conspiring with the district attorney, Tom Spoda, to cover it up using blackmail, coercion. That's all been proven. And those who question Chris's credibility, that's not, that's not really disputable. Um, the aspects of Chris's story that have not been discussed in court, that the only people who know if that is true are James Burke and Chris Loeb. And he says some pretty explosive things yeah. about what he found in the bag. And that's what, com what it comes down to is what he found in the bag. So you often find people, because we have a seven part podcast, they're listening to the first episode and saying, I don't believe this guy. Meanwhile, a federal court believed him. Um, James Burke's uh, fellow officers, you know, said this actually happened. So there is a lot of reason based on federal court, you know, based on actually a court of law to believe Christopher Loeb on what he said. What they didn't get into what was what was in that duffel bag. And why did James Burke, the chief of police, actually go into this man's house who stole his duffel bag, beat the hell out of him, bring him to um, a uh, interrogation room at a precinct and beat him up again what was he hiding in that duffel bag? And that's one of the questions that we try to answer in this case. And that's one of the biggest differences in your investigation of the Gilgo Beach murders is really what the heck is in that duffel bag and how does it maybe connect? Because that's a pretty much an exclusive kind of detail. And really that's, 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 that's the, that's a key. What the hell is in that duffel bag? Don't give it away, but that's there's something there's something in that duffel bag that is pretty damning and pretty explosive there is and and it does it's a theme we don't hear it, it's a theme we run into several times in the course of our investigation and it's what convinced us to ultimately include it publicly is because it is not the only time we heard that in relationship to james burke Absolutely. If this was the only time that we heard about this particular thing that was in the duffel bag, and then we didn't hear any, any, any time else, we probably wouldn't have included it. But we kept hearing it again and again and again. From people who didn't know each other. Yeah. So. And there's been plenty of investigations about the Gilgo Beach murder, especially within the New York media, Newsday, News 12. Everybody's taken a look at it. And what seems to stand out in your investigation is putting the sole spotlight on the police chief and on the former DA, Mr. Spoda. How comfortable are you really putting the spotlight on the two of them, knowing that there's a, that's, that's a pretty high stakes implication, whether or not it's a direct accusation? Oh, I feel very comfortable because whether or not they're directly involved in the Long Island serial killer case, I'm very skeptical that what they did to Chris is their only instance of corruption. Um, I believe that this has been going on decades in that it's just a Pandora's box people are afraid to open because of what the implications of that could mean for any case they were connected to over the last decades. So I feel very comfortable because this is just the tip of the iceberg of what they've likely done. Um, and as far as the Long Island serial killer case, what people have to understand is Burke and Spoda's decision to 
dismantle the FBI task forces, they didn't just dismantle the Gilgo Beast ta task force, they dismantled the MS-13 task force, the DEA task force. So the amount of deaths that could have possibly resulted from those decisions are incredible. So I feel very comfortable in calling them out. Uh, I don't think enough has been done. I wish I could say more, but we only say what we can prove. And, and let's be clear, uh, Billy, that, that I mean, you're, you're pointing a finger pretty hard at the police chief here. You know what? The facts are this. He takes over, he kicks the FBI out, not only out of the Gilga Beach investigation, he kicks out the most sophisticated crime-solving force in the history of the world. He's got 11 bodies along Ocean Parkway, and he says, go away. He doesn't only do that, he says, go away in my entire town when he's got a very bad gang problem. He's got all these things going on. He does not want anyone sniffing around his dirty laundry. That is what we are calling him out on. At the very least, that's what we're calling him out on. Right, and we're not suggesting necessarily that he is a Long Island serial killer or that he has killed anyone. What we're suggesting is he derailed this investigation deliberately to keep the FBI away from discovering his indiscretions. And how severe those indiscretions are, there's a spectrum. There's some we can prove and there's some we can't. Um, and that's hopefully something we can have a better grasp on in the future. And it's so interesting, the True crime podcast series have really become super popular over the last few years. I mean, the last few months, maybe not as much because not as many people are commuting to get that sort of fix as you drive in and out of work. Um, but certainly you guys have had uh, super success. And it's interesting because when you do an investigation like this, in this medium, uh, and I know you also have the TV series, but to, to have this investigation where it's not just on the front page of the New York Times or sort of spread out over a news day or in a 10 minute report on um, Fox 5 or something like that. To do it in this format can really tell the whole story, which is unique to podcasting and, and the way Investigation Discovery is doing it. Yeah, that's why podcasting is so powerful because listen, I came from the print world, I worked in newspapers, I worked at Newsday, I wrote for the Times, but being able to tell a story for seven hours every week, a different hour, you're able to, to really unpack everything that people are saying and dig deep into it. You know, the reason why we shot the, the Unraveled TV special for Discovery Plus, which is airing now, is that, you know, we, wanted, you, we know that people would want to see what we were seeing. They wanted to see us knock on the door of the chief of police, James Burke. They wanted to see us do these things. And we were able to give them that while at the same time delivering this podcast. And it's something that no one really has ever done before. People have done podcasts and they filmed it later. No one's ever done it at the same time. Oh, you have no idea. I, I tried to make this project happen starting five, almost six years ago. And nobody wanted to ruffle the feathers of the police at that time. So I got rejected and this project got passed on several times. And it's indicative of the just inherent fear that people have in challenging authority and challenging um, the systems that really have the most power. So to say it's satisfying is an understatement because finally, five years later, the truth is coming out. And I do think that 
it gives people an opportunity to look at all of this from a different vantage point. But I will, I'll say that, you know, this project, we hit so many roadblocks because of the red tape involved with the police department and the district attorney's office. And I think more than ever, it's so important for the public, whether you're a journalist or not, to question and hold accountable the public servants that we entrust with our safety and the safety of others and solving cases of murder. Um, so to say it's satisfying is an understatement. I'm so grateful the project happened and that people are finally understanding the truth about why this investigation was essentially derailed. Yeah, particularly in on Long Island, you've got, you know, people, they've got their PBA cards. Nobody wants to ruffle any feathers. Everybody wants to be able to get out of tickets. Everybody wants to be able to, to have an inside line. And we know that. Listen, we're both from Long Island. We know that. But it was time. We've got 11 bodies on a beach and no answers. And it was time to hold the, the police department's feet to the fire, even though they got rid of what they claim is that they're one bad apple. He's not their one bad apple. There's a lot of bad apples. James Burke has never been named a suspect or person of interest in the murders. We reached out to his attorney, who told us they had no comment about these questions of how the investigation was handled or the new series. The case remains unsolved. Recently, current Suffolk County Police Commissioner Geraldine Hart unveiled new evidence for the first time in years. It wasn't much, just a picture of a belt used by the killer, with the letters HM or WH. A new piece on top of so many complicated layers in this investigation, meticulously pieced together by Billy and Alexis for all to judge. Unraveled, the Long Island serial killer is now streaming on Discovery Plus and wherever you listen to podcasts. We should note, there is also a website dedicated to this case, gilgonews.com, where the public can read up on the investigation, submit tips, and the Suffolk County Police may release new details down the road. The Tape Room is part of the Fox 5 Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dan Bowens. This episode was recorded, edited, and mixed by Matt Onimus. Our executive producers are myself, Matt Onimus, and Ahmad Asgar. Byron Harmon is vice president of Fox 5 News, and Lou Leone is vice president and general manager. And you can always find us on our Facebook or Instagram page. You can search at The Tape Room Podcast, all one word, and if you think you have a case that you believe we should explore, email us at thetaperoompodcast at foxtv.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of The Tape Room. <laughs>